Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share their insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Jody Evans is the Chief Operations Officer at Community Dental Partners. Community Dental Partners is an organization that focuses on serving patients in underserved areas by providing dental care in their communities. In 2012, Jody owned her own business but decided to meet her husband at work for lunch at CDP. During lunch, she learned more about what he did and fell in love with the mission of helping moms with multiple kids get the help they deserve in a fun, guilt-free environment. She soon applied as a part-time assistant to the CMO, quickly moving up in the company, becoming the CMO in 2013, and in 2016, she accepted the opportunity to lead as both the COO and CMO. However, the role she is most proud of is her role as a mom of six kids and a wife to her amazing husband, Isaac, for over the past 20 years. Wow. Um, I can't even imagine. I mean, Jody, welcome to the Second Grand Podcast, but I, I'm a father of two kids and um, had stepkids for, for a bit as well. I can't imagine how you're, you're doing your role in raising six. So you're going to have to give us some insights here today. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, for having me here. I'm super excited. I really appreciate it. Um, so I guess the, the secret is get a lot of help. So um, yes, we have, we have six kids um, and we have a lot of protection support, as I like to call it. Um, that that help us make that possible. Uh, so they range from 19 years old. One of them's actually off to college, so I have five at home, and uh, 19 to five-year-old twins. Oh my so God. twins alone will put you in a place, humble you to to ask for help. But yeah, so between all six of them, we we make it work, and it's they're the joy of my life. It's super fun. I'm very grateful for them. And I think I think it's actually something that when people. Um, you know, have, have children, it also changes them, I think, for better in the workplace, because it actually forces some balance back into their lives and into their business. I, I see a lot of um, younger Gen Y starting companies or running companies, or I was even guilty, you know, back when we were starting 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I was the first person on the executive team to have a child. I think I was actually the first person in the company to have a child, because there were only 14 of us when I started. Um, and when we did that, it shifted. We, you know, we couldn't have the morning meetings anymore. We couldn't go for beer five nights a week. So how do you, how do you balance the, you know, being a mom, being a wife, um, running a family and, and running as a CEO of a company? How, give us some of the tips, the trips on that. Well, I, I'm really blessed because on our executive team, our CDO chief dental officer has seven children. Our CFO has eight. Um, our CEO has five. And I have six. So anyways, our CFO won the kid card because all of us were like, we're out, right? We're yeah. done. I'm not, we're not having any more. So he, he gets to, to win the prize on, on having the most kids and maybe even the most complexity from that perspective. Um, but I think, I think if you try to balance it all perfectly, you're going to be really disappointed. So I don't actually try to achieve that. Um, Sometimes I'm able to really be present and, and do things with my kids, and then other times I'm not, and I, I have to work, and, and, and that's what's important. That's what's focused. So my children are very independent. Um, they have a lot of great life skills because of this position. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, um, also uh, a couple, of, about 10 years ago, um, I was diagnosed with a, a sleeping disorder, 
And uh, this is just a big part of actually, I think that's, that's brought me to becoming the CEO of a company and being able to organize with six kids. Um, I was totally functioning entrepreneur. Um, my Colby, my green's at 10. So uh, just high, high quick start. And um, was uh, sitting in church one day and I turned to my husband and I said, I can't feel my legs. We had four kids at the time. I said, I can't feel my legs and had the sensation move out my body and my eyes closed and I went completely paralyzed. And um, later on learned, they carried me out of church, you know, ambulance, whole nine yards learned that I had this intense sleeping disorder where my brain would confuse emotions with dreaming and it paralyzes my whole body as if I'm asleep, but my brain is still awake. So I'm totally conscious, but I can't move, can't see, um, and just kind of stuck in the shell, right? Is that so cataplexy? Yes, cataplexy with narcolepsy. Uh-huh. Interesting. I, I know that because my aunt was diagnosed with that and that was, she was describing these tremors and she could see everything around her, but there was no response going on. And yeah. So my eyes close and I just collapse. And yeah, she, she would collapse as well. It's scary stuff. Yeah, it was scary. You know, it was, it was scary when I didn't know what it was. I remember thinking, okay, I'm probably going to die. You know, it just, that's just what you think. And then they're like, no, you have narcolepsy. And you're like, okay, so how am I going to live? I think that was a really profound question for me at that moment. We had built our dream home. I was this entrepreneur, solopreneur, doing all this work. And, and all of a sudden it was just, it was over. It was, I was done. And uh, at that moment I learned really quickly that if I was going to get momentum, I would need a team. And, and so that mindset started immediately and, um, you know, went from going cataplectic episodes 40 times a day to manipulating and, and learning different things. And now I'm fully functioning. I can drive, I can, you know, I'm obviously in the company. So learning how to get momentum, it's, it's been a blessing because I've been obsessed with leveraging energy, unique ability and, and building protection support around me and around people that support me as well. So those are, those are massive lessons. And I don't, I don't want to underscore that either. Cause I think when, when I asked about how do you, how do you have the balance between, you know, work and being a mom and being a wife and, you kind of said, well, I don't really have the balance. And it almost might seem to the listener like you're dismissing that. But I think you've actually uncovered the real key to it. Because I've always said that balance is impossible. That I think if we have, if I think of maybe the five F's, as I call it, friends, family, fitness, faith, and finance, and those five F's in my life, how can I always have them in balance? I can't. But what I can really, what I try to do is obsess about two of them for a quarter and then maybe let three slide for a few months. And then I pick another two and I obsess about those for a quarter and I let a couple slide. And I think that's by being honest with myself and then others around me, they understand, okay, like dad's going to be a hundred miles an hour on work for this quarter. But I'll tell you this summer coming June, July and August, man, I'm shifting hard. I'm going to Europe for five weeks. Like I'm telling clients I'm moving calls around and I think I'm, I'm, getting better at that. So is that, a, is that kind of how you've managed it in your mind then is to, compartmentalize what you are truly focused on yes and i think you brought up something interesting too is if we understand where our strengths are and we can leverage that strength it doesn't necessarily then depend on me completely to provide that for everybody and everything so um we actually have this thing called a baseball card that um, i created a couple of years ago and it's this total profile of everybody and what their strengths are. It has all these different tests. We do the Colby and the Enneagram and the DISC and their learning styles. 
and they're Myers-Briggs and it's all on one card on this Ooh. one sheet and um, you know all about them and I actually have one for each of my kids the ones the five-year-old twins not so much but we guess we guess their Enneagram we guess kind of where they like to to be but um, but all of my kids have taken it and I, I believe that when you really understand a person you can help them get momentum much faster than and and also provide resources for them to get the help that they need so that they can live with their unique ability and be in momentum as well and so I, I think some of it is is leveraging some of the principles I've learned over the years dealing with the disability and then also you know very fast-growing company is you've got to figure out how to get everybody momentum and then connect them to those resources so that they can get what they need to become their best selves. So with my kids, it may not always be me, but I can look at, at their baseball card and say, okay, who can I connect you with so that you can get what you need to go where you want to go? And, and it's fascinating because all my kids' Colby's are different. Yeah. That's really fun. Like, they're, so, I don't have any of the same. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link to the Colby in the, uh, in the show notes, but would you mind sharing with us one of your baseball cards later that we would, would we be able to, could we share that on, on with the show notes? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'll share mine just so that. Yeah, th that'd be amazing. Cause that, th you, what you're on to there, I think is truly, I've, I've done about 10 different personality profiles on myself over the years. And I do them with all of our team. And even we started a network called the COO Alliance. So we have the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. You know, there's all these groups for entrepreneurs. There's even an amazing group for dental entrepreneurs called the DEO, the Dental Entrepreneurs Organization. We have a group called the COO Alliance, which is only for second in commands. No entrepreneurs are allowed. But we had all of our members do their Colby profile. They also are all doing their love languages. They're also all doing DISC. Um, and it's to not try to change themselves, but we also had their CEO do the profiles to understand each other. Mm -hmm. So do you actually teach your employees or your executive teams about the profiles? How do you, how do you kind of leverage the baseball cards internally? So our executive team is, is now doing it. The, the Colby was something that I was introduced to by the CEO and okay. I loved that. Um, the Enneagram was uh, by the CDO, but as when I got the Colby for me, that, that kind of became that, that opportunity to say, I really want to understand this. So I started just doing other tests, the DISC profile, the Meyer Briggs. And I actually have um, like this notebook that's just full of everybody's on my core team, my operational team. And I can just turn to it when I'm meeting with them and speak their language. So amazing. say, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're tackling this problem, right? That might be one. I, my team usually just likes to bring solutions, but let's say that they have a problem and they're stuck so that I don't talk past them and they don't talk past me and we don't feel frustrated because sometimes it feels like they're intentionally trying to tick you off. Right. Or maybe why is Jody so insensitive? That would be like being so insensitive to needs. I'm like, no, I'm just working my Colby, you know? So I turn and I go, okay, I've got a fact finder here. Right. I'm going to let them, I'm going to go to the strategy circle and I'm going to let them go through all the obstacles and go through. And then I can get excited about the vision or sometimes I'll say, I'm actually not following this conversation. Remember, I like to brainstorm first. Do you mind if I go up to the spaceship for a minute and play? And you're going to be like kind of lost and feel a little bit invalidated, but just give me a minute and make, and then tell me if I'm on the right track. And then we can go down to the ants and talk about all these details. So 
I, I leverage the baseball cards, honestly, in all my conversations um, so that we're all free to be ourselves, but we mm -hmm. still are communicating and understanding each other. You mentioned the strategy circle. So I've rebranded that just for my own purposes internally and call it overcoming obstacles where we kind of come up with a big goal and then state all the, the obstacles to the goal and then how to counter it. So clearly your CEO is involved in strategic coach because you've mentioned Colby and strategy circle. Were they involved or are they still involved in strategic coach? Um, no, not as much, but uh, he was in it for, I think like 10, 15 years. I mean, a while. Um, yeah. uh, my mom is also an entrepreneur and uh, she's in, in a strategic coach. So we leverage quite a bit of groups. Alex Sharfin's another one. He's okay. awesome. Um, yeah. And yeah. Who's, who's your mom? Uh, Christina Scott. Christina Scott. Not sure if I've met her. Trying to picture. I mean, I was in Dan's um, 10X program for the last three years, but just took a couple of years off right now. I've got too much, too much on the go that I, again, probably me recalibrating a little bit of my focus is how much personal growth do I need this year when I actually want more free time with my kids and my family. So I wanted my eight days back. And that was the, I told Dan and Babs at Abundance 360 this year, the reason I wasn't continuing with coach was I just want some time back. You know, it's interesting that you say that because we, we've gone through that phase for the last couple of years. We were with, you know, the 25, Joe Polish, the 25K group, heavily yeah. involved with Alex Sharvin. He's now doing like the billionaire code. We just went to an event, but we typically have stepped back from that. Strategic coach was a big one. You know, we were attending all the Oz principles and learning about that. But we did, we kind of stepped back for a minute and just said, now that we have all these tools, let's build systems to really make sure we're utilizing them and let's kind of see what, how are we going to customize them to work within our organization as we scale. And, and now we're getting to a place where we're, we're ready to jump back in and to get more tools, but it was, it was good. It was good. Yeah. To I think, I think that's a great point. I think I was talking to um, some learners recently, or some CEOs recently. And I said, you know, at some point stop reading books and start putting the ideas in place. Mm -hmm. It's like so many people just read another book, read another book. I'm like, you're not putting, there's 12 great ideas out of good to great. Are you using them? Mm -hmm. Like, then what's the point of reading the next darn book, right? Or Rockefeller habits going up. So I think that's really smart on the recalibration. Tell us really quickly about, um, about the operation, about community dental partners, just so we understand the brand and the scope of the organization. And I want to find out from you how you've risen in your role and how you've you know continued to grow. Sure. So Community Dental Partners, it's a dental-based uh, organization, and we have 26 uh, locations throughout Texas. Um, we see about 150,000 visits a year. So these are not, you know, typically smaller practices. They're, they're more two to three doctor practices with multiple specialties in them. Um, and our core focus is to serve the underserved market. So we will focus on Medicaid or rural towns where they don't actually have a lot of resources to be able to go to the dentist. And so we're focusing on the, these underserved um, locations where, where they, they need us. And, and we try to do it. Our, our goal is to bring an experience based um, feel to the, to the market. So we have different themes in each of our offices. We have of like uh, the Royal Kingdom and we have a mascot named Charlie the Chipmunk who takes these kids on this uh, great adventure through the practices. We have um, 
jungle themes, we have underwater themes, and they're pretty extravagant dental practices. They have movie theaters, um, we have popcorn. Anyways, it's a, it's a really fun experience. And then um, at the end of the um, experience at, uh, at the dentist, the children get crowned like the king or queen of smile magic. And so anyways, it's a, it's a fun little Disney-esque type experience that we bring to the dental industry because the underserved markets, typically they do not understand why the dentist is important. Um, it has not been emphasized in their family units. And so we're there to make it fun, to meet them where they're at and to help them understand the importance of going to the dentist and, and, and taking care of their teeth. So there's a fun element to it. There's also some complexity with it because of the lack of education um, and then the lack of resources to actually go to the dentist. And that's really where I fell in love with the company. Um, we had, you know, we, we do a lot with single moms who have multiple children and they're really doing this on their own. And, uh, and they have a lot of different uh, demands on them, their time, uh, financially, things are tied. I mean, even just getting gas money to be able to come to the dentist is a sacrifice for them. And so we really try to make it where it's enjoyable for their kids. And also we try to make it where it's enjoyable for mom as well. We have a whole thing built into our systems where at the end mom's given this amazing mom sticker and we clap and we celebrate her as well. And we get lots of tears in those moments because it's maybe the first time somebody reaffirmed, Hey, you're doing a good job because you showed up here today and you're taking care of your kids. Does the, does the cause side of your business help you attract and retain employees? Uh, yes, I believe so. Like, I think that big vision, like this, this vision that we're here to help that mom and these kids, and then they see the pictures with the kids and their crowns and their balloons and, and, you know, they're just smiling and they kind of go, okay, I want to be a part of something like that. Right. I want to actually change people's lives. And people don't know that about dentistry, but it really changes the trajectory of kids' lives when their, their mouth is free from from cavities, we see very extreme cases. Um, and, and so what we do really does prolong the life of that child, but also the current health of that child. So has major impacts on how they're functioning in school, um, the foods that they'll eat. Kids with a lot of decay cannot eat healthy food because it's hard and crunchy and, you know, and so, yeah. yeah, they see that. The employees see that. They see that when in dentistry, they come back hopefully every six months. Typically, ours is about every year, and they see that kid, and they go, "Oh my gosh, they grew because they can eat, you know, good foods now, and wow. and they're not missing school, and so it changes that kid's life." So that draws amazing. in, that draws That's in our amazing. employees. Mm-hmm. Um, tell, tell us about the org chart for your company. I just want to go back into the operational side for a second. What's the org chart look like? Who reports to who, and and how many employees do you have throughout the organization? So I know. Over 26 locations, you've got some spam all of a sudden. Sure. We have over 500 employees. Um, and on our, do you want to know like who's on our executive team? Is that what you're? Yeah. Yeah. Who's on the executive team and how does it, how does the reporting work? Who do you report to? Who reports into you, et cetera? Sure. So I report to the CEO um, and we have a CDO, which is our chief dental officer. And in a sense, I report to to him as well, because in healthcare, you have to have a doctor that's running it. And then we have what we call a dental support organization. And our job is to support the clinical team, but they need to be in charge of it. So reporting to both of them, we have um, our CFO who reports to the CEO, our chief compliance officer, 
and um, and then our biz dev team that goes out and finds the new opportunities. So that's our executive team. Okay. So if you're reporting into two, how do you how do you split that reporting? How do you split the or how do the three of you, I guess, make decisions or, or how does that work? So when we have our executive meeting, the first, um, the first person that, that brings up what they need solved is the clinical team. So the clinical team leads out on that meeting and says, this, these are the initiatives that we want solved and here's where we want protection and support. And then our team will come in afterwards. That's typically where I'll come in or the CEO will come in and they'll start listing out their operational needs that need to happen in order to support at a, um, again, an operational level. So, but, but clinical leads, clinical leads us. Clinical says, okay, here's what needs to be taken care of first. So as far as priorities are concerned, clinical's priorities are first. Are first, okay. And your growth, has your growth all been organic or through acquisitions? Uh, both. So we've done de novos and acquisitions. Okay. What, what did you call the first one? We call them de novo. So those are us, you know, building our brand from the ground up. But our acquisitions, it's been interesting when we've done them, we've turned them into us, like some form of us, right? Sure. Uh, we just couldn't help ourselves. We're really excited about our chipmunk, I guess. So we... Yeah, I used to, um, I used to coach a group that's in a similar space in um, California called um, Kids Smiles. Mm-hmm. And um, Jack, the CEO, just was obsessed about helping kids that were in the lower income bracket and English is um, second language kind of group and just super, super passionate about that, <clears throat> that whole space. And I was curious whether anyone was doing a roll up in that, uh, in that industry or whether it's all organic. How do you, how do you, um, how do you attract the mid-level team, the, the management team, or are you growing them all from within? So we're doing both. Um, we've had, because we've been growing, um, you know, quickly for us at least, we've been having to attract people from the outside. And what we've used is we have these nine pillars that we operate by, our nine values. And we actually changed our entire interviewing um, process to be around those nine pillars. So there are questions that we're asking and really what we're listening for is things like humility and gratitude and the sense of ownership. Um, And so Attracting people from the outside, um, we've been able to change our turnover. I mean, we were at like over 100% turnover on practice managers when we did our acquisition, and we're trying to figure out like, okay, how do we integrate people into our culture because it's pretty intense. Um, and through these interview questions and things, we've been attracting the, the right talent, and we're actually down to like 10% turnover for our practice managers. So, um so we've done it through, you know, going out and, and attracting talent, but then also we're, we have this thing called summits that we do and daily leadership things that we do to help bring the leaders out that are inside the practices and help them career path up to a practice manager. So we kind of do a two-way approach to, to try to bring out all the leaders that we can. We can. Yeah, how, how do you bring them out? I've always believed that a leader's job is to grow people, and it sounds like that's something you're focused on as a company. So how do you how do you bring out the leadership in people? So the first one that we have was we have something called Pillar in a Box, which is our value system, right? And every month we pick one of the pillars. We have nine of them, and three of them are our core ones, so we rotate those through twice. And every day there's a morning huddle that's in each one of the practices led by the practice manager, and we go through – and they have one question or activity 
that, it, that they go through and do. And so that's where the team starts expressing their belief system, how they think about the world, um, how they, and, and then also get training on how they should think about the world and how they should think about, like, let's say humility. Um, or the last one we just did was personal honesty and responsibility. And so that's when you start seeing people being able really to express themselves and to start, you understand where their mindset's at. And then we're training them every day on here's how to get your mindset to a leadership place. Um, we also, our practices, uh, we have what we call leadership summits. And we bring in key people in the practices to these summits. And um, we do things like the baseball card for them. And we teach them and educate them on what does a Colby mean and what does it mean now to rely on team members. Because in our practices, you have some people that are actually individual contributors and we identify them as such. Like, okay, this is an individual contributing position. Your job is to be technical. And then we teach them, if you want to move to this next position, you are now leading a team. Yep. And in order to do that, you need to understand not only yourself, but you need to understand that everybody else is different and how are you going to work with them. So through the summits, we use that to educate them on how to lead and train people. We do book clubs. There's, there's quite a bit that we have in place. I love that you, um, you talked about you know, relying on the others in a team. I was at a restaurant last night in Whistler, uh, BC, and we were sitting at the chef's table watching these chefs cook. And there were um, a bunch of plates out being prepped and all three of the main chefs were all putting stuff on all of the plates. Not, they weren't just doing one plate. Like someone was doing all the meats for all the plates. Someone else was doing all the sauces. They were all like, it was amazing to watch these three people literally working on plates that I would have only thought one person was doing, but they were completely operating as a team and really fast and furiously around each other in a complete state of calm, but really all in their unique ability. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we, um, I don't think we do enough of that in a company. It's interesting to see that you're doing it. So I also like that you mentioned the, the, that you had the nine core values or nine pillars, but you have the three core. Because I've always believed that a company can't have more, more than four or five core values. They can have others that are kind of aspirational values. And it sounds mm -hmm. like that's what you've done. You've got your three core and then your other kind of values as well. Is that how you, you treat them or think of them internally as well? Yes, because I found the same thing as an operator. The nine um, pillars were, were there before I was the COO. Uh, I was at the foundation of the company and I loved it. But as we were developing training and leadership training, I was like, okay, we've got to pull out the three. What were the three core ones that I could say people actually were either thriving or struggling in our company based off of these principles, right? And so um, the three that we picked was humility, gratitude, and personal honesty and responsibility. Right. Yeah, yeah. My, my test has been, are we willing to fire people who break them? Yes. And if yeah. that's, if we're willing to fire people who break them, those are core values. If we just want to work towards them, those are all the aspirational values that are really good, but yeah, they may not be fireable offenses. It's just, let's work harder at those. Right. Mm -hmm. But the that's core right. values, the core values are like the 10 commandments. I mean, you just don't break them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so talk in the book club, what, what are your favorite books that you guys have read as a company or that you've worked with your teams on? So leadership and self-deception, I find Ooh. is a good one for our team members just starting out. Um, man, we have so many, we do the five dysfunctions of a team. Um, we are right now reading extreme ownership. Uh, the seven habits. I, I really like that book, but I feel like that one 
loses a lot of people, to be honest. And that was one of our core ones initially. Um, and so um, that one's that, that I actually go over more with my regional management team and getting them clear on how to do it. Um, let's see, how to win friends and influence people is another one. Um, the Oz Principle series, we utilize that as well. You know, I think I think for seven habits, it just we we have to get like a blinkist version of it, right? Like or a condensed version yes. because it doesn't need to be two hundred and forty pages when it could be fifteen or twenty, right? I think it's so strong, but but we don't need the rest of the story. It's like tell us the seven habits and okay, we got them. Mm-hmm. That's know? right. So that's kind of what I've done with the team is it, let's kind of take this book and instead of making everybody push through it and get discouraged, let's simplify it. Um, you know, let's identify what are your core values. And again, I, the baseball cards help me with that. I really believe that you can rely on being a great communicator or you can build systems that communicate for you. <laughs> so, um, I think, you know, with the seven habits, it has some great points in it, but they almost need something that articulates for them. So self-assessment tests and things like that help them understand, okay, what really are my principles? Like, who am I? What do I value? So again, we kind of changed that up a little bit and simplified it. It's cool. You guys are dealing with something in the, the dental space that I think is um, is very similar to a lot of technology companies or actually probably most companies today because most companies have to have fairly large IT teams now that look. There used to be internet companies and now basically we're all using you know the internet for our business and, and all the technology tools. How do you get your dentists to communicate with the rest of the company so that you can actually stay in sync? And I think that the lesson is how do we get IT to communicate with the rest of the business people that don't speak IT? Like we don't speak dentists. We don't understand all of their terminology. And and, and I've even had an, an issue with, you know, having to call them doctor all the time. I'm like, I'm kind of over that. I want to call them Bob and Fred and Sally. Like, fuck, the, forget the title. You're Bob and Fred and Sally, right? <gasps> so how do you how do you guys work with that? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that we do is we have developed what we call a daily huddle every morning and we ask the doctor to be involved with it. And we start with data because doctors typically like data. They like facts, you know, and they want to know like, okay, just the facts are going to tell me the truth. And so it's very data driven concept with the daily huddle. Hey, this is where we're at. This is where we're projected to be at today. Is that in line doctor with what your vision, what your income goals are, you know, is, does this get you excited? Um, and then also we'll go through and, and we have what, what we call the daily huddle strategy. And it basically says, if this number's off, here's different ways you can support the doctor. If this number's off, here's, or this number's high, here's how you can support the doctor. And so the team will then strategize and then go to the doctor and say, okay, doctor, from what I understand to get you momentum, here's what we need to do. This is what we need to work on today. To rely solely on the doctors to answer that question we found was difficult. So it was better for us to lead through that and then have them give feedback on whether or not we were hitting the mark or not. Um, cool. And so that aligns us with the doctor and then the practice manager then aligns with the operational team and says, okay, team, we're going to support the doctor this way and then we're going to support our customers this way and they go through our patients this way and they go through that strategy. So that happens every morning. Um, it took us about a year and a couple of summits to get <laughs> everybody really in that habit yeah. um, because they were used to looking at the report and just 
either winging it or, you know, everybody was operating their own way. And now the board's in every single location and there's a dashboard that's custom made for them to help them fill out that board and, and it drives those conversations. So we systematize that to help communicate better with the doctors. Again, instead of relying on people's emotional intelligence to be able to do that solely, but yeah. okay, give them a system that will communicate for them. Well, it's that old Michael Gerber saying of that people don't fail, systems fail, right? Mm -hmm. And if you put the right system in place, you actually can remove the human element from it. So it, it's good that you're systemizing. It's also probably becoming a core strength, I would guess, of your company, the systemization, because you're in multiple locations. When you have 26 locations, you can't rely on the people as much. You have to actually rely on systems. Is that true? Yes, and I, and I think the system should strengthen people's leadership. So it should be built to enable them to become better leaders. And so the, the daily huddle really allows that practice manager to stand confidently in front of their team. And even with the little cheater board, you know, on the side that's hung up for everyone to see that has all the different strategies, they can look at that ahead of time and go, okay, here's the ones I'm going to pull out and lead through that. And so my goal with any system is that people actually become better leaders because of the system. And that doesn't become so tactical that it bogs them down where they actually feel like they're just leading through a checklist. I really try hard to, to create systems where, where people actually feel empowered and, and they feel like a stronger leader because of it. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, walk us through some of the, the leadership team. You've, you've obviously done a really good job with your meeting rhythms. It sounds like um, when, using daily huddles. What's your leadership team meeting like? And, or what, what different meetings rhythms do you have at the leadership team level? Do you mean at the executive or at my team level? Um, the, the top layer, the C-level company. Okay. So for our top, for our executive meeting, we use basically an agile um, set. But okay. we, we, let me kind of, sorry, let me start over with that question. So <clears throat> for our team, what we've matured into over the last couple of years is a CDP playbook. Um, we got that from Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage. And um, I actually wrote out the playbook. I was like, okay, I want to actually be really clear on who we are and where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish. And I did that with the help of the executive team. And we built out and, and we used that playbook as our main operational platform to run our meetings. And so we show up every week and we discuss the playbook and where we're going and things we're committed to doing. And then we add to it the other priorities that clinical concerns might have um, and then the operational concerns. So we do that every week. Um, but really, I I run, my team runs about 90% of the organization is, is under my yep. uh, leadership. And so yep. with that, I run a very intense agile system for every single department. Okay. And so, they so, for so people that for people that don't understand the agile computing methodology, walk us through how you're using that operationally because I think it's brilliant. Okay, thank, yeah. So we've tweaked it a little bit. We started out using sure. a lot of that language and stuff, but we tweaked it to every single week we are meeting um, as a team and we are going through a list of constraints that are built out with, compared to our data, and then we pick out three priorities that we are going to focus on that week and accomplish. So that's our agile platform that we use at the regional level. And then we have a project management team that I help run 
and that team does a daily call every single day and they're running the major initiatives and then they run a task force every week for their major initiatives. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And how do you, so are you documenting what they're doing or is it simply just everyone's making the commitments and then we check in the following week? How do you follow up with that or do you bother following up? Do people just get it done? No, it's, it's all documented. Um, okay. So with our regional team, we ask ourselves, what are we going to do this week? Uh, well, we ask them, what are we going to do this week? And then we say, what does it look like? And how are we going to be successful? And that's written out clearly because sometimes if you're too broad in your problems, you come back and you always find yourself, you know, that Dan Sullivan in the gap where it's like, yeah, I did that, but I found this new ideal as I went to accomplish it. And so that stays within scope there. And then for our project management team, we have a very robust system that I can talk through. It's a totally separate one. And that's taking all of our executive initiatives and, and making it real. So I can talk through a little bit how we think yeah. about that. Talk to, what, what do you mean by making it real? So on our team, we, we see um, three levels of an initiative. The first one is make it up. The second one is make it real. And the third one is make it reoccurring. So the executive team often is making stuff up. That's typical. Um, sure. And our project management team is who makes it real. And they start bridging the gap between making it real and that reoccurring team that's going to take it and utilize it every single day. Do you, how do you avoid doing things that, well, I may be answering my own question. It might be a covey thing about quadrant two, but how do you avoid working on projects that don't end up becoming recurring? Is that because, like, I guess there are obviously the one-offs that just have to be one-offs, but do you try to decide what projects to work on that can become recurring or can become automated? Do you think about that at all? Yes. So um, I think what you're asking is how do you keep a bunch – are you asking if, how do you keep a bunch of smaller projects from getting in there? Or? Yeah, because it seems like the smaller projects – don't necessarily give us the leverage that a recurring project will. Like once we do something and we make it real and then we make it reoccurring, that can go on, it can kind of become automated or it can be leveraged across all the systems. And we, we get more leverage off that than those one-offs, right? Like I, I remember a call I had with my mentor years ago, he was being groomed as a second in command at Starbucks and Greg and I were talking and he was reporting to um, Howard Schultz at the time. He's reported to all three CEOs, Howard Bihar, uh, Oren Smith and Howard Schultz. And, Howard was upset that the letter B on the sign at the 50th and, and Wallingford location in, in Fremont start in Seattle wasn't working. And he said, you know, why is the letter B not working? And Greg said, it doesn't matter why the letter B is not working. What matters is what system do we have in place to ensure that every letter on every sign at all locations are always working. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he refused to solve the symptom. He would only solve root problems. And I think we often in companies work on the busy work instead of the systems that prevent that or that leverage. So I'm curious what your, that's a rambling commentary, but I'm curious what you guys do around that. It depends on the size of the problem. So I appreciate the question. We have different groups that work on different sides of issues. So um, I I am a firm believer that uh, people don't want to fail. So again, I think systems fail. So I always ask the question, well, what was in the system that let them know that that was a problem? Mm -hmm. Right? What do we have built in? And so when it gets to, let's say something like that, I would rely really heavily on my regional team and my operational project manager to look at that system we utilize what we call support cards. 
and, and they're divided up by the different groups, different positions and things we want to accomplish. And so we would look through those support cards and say, hey, does it say anywhere that that's a priority? And what's the frequency and cadence so that they know, okay, I got to look at that and sign off. So that, that's one section on the reoccurring. But then we have our, let's say, our, our bigger initiatives of an acquisition that we want to accomplish, or we're going to build a new practice from the ground up. That's not going to hit operations or my reoccurring team yeah. until later on in the phase, what we call the phase gate system. And so we have a whole different system and group that works and supports that and then hand transitions it over to the regional team who then takes it and says, okay, now how do I put this in our reoccurring agile to make sure that things are working and that it's, you know, carrying on utilizing that, that operational team. Okay. It makes sense. And I love the fact that you guys have thought through all these systems and you're branding a lot of these systems internally too. Like you don't just talk about doing something, you're putting it into a, a system or a playbook that, that is specific to your company. Tell us about your growth, how you've grown in the organization. Cause when you came in, the company was at a different size. What was, how many locations did you have when you joined? I think there are seven locations. Seven. Okay. So you're, you know, you're four times the size already. Um, and continuing to grow. How have you had to grow as a leader and, and what specifically have you worked on for yourself as a leader? You know, if I could say like something that um, attributed to where I'm at today is I just said yes to the stuff that nobody wanted. Um, and I got, and I honestly was just told where I needed to go, even when I couldn't see necessarily my strength in that. And I just said, okay, sounds like fun. I'll try it. Um, and and then as the company grew and the complexity grew, things that other people didn't want, I thought were interesting. I think that's why I ended up with so many uh, departments. And really, I have a lot of passion around it of just taking on the stuff that nobody else wants and nobody thinks is interesting. That's kind of the things I find the most interesting. What have you had to work on as a leader? Um, oh, man. I have had my, my tail handed to me so many times, right? And I think the first time that it got handed to me, it was like, well, that's really shocking and a little bit painful. Um, and then after a while, it kind of just felt like a gift. Like that feedback, I, w I got a lot of feedback. And learning how to take that and actually discern through it. What part of this do I actually need to really take and learn from? And what part do I need to set aside? And what part do I need to like acknowledge, but I can't work on that right now. And kind of dividing up how I'm going to approach um, all the feedback that I'm getting um, has been helpful. And it's taken a lot of, a lot of tears and a lot of writing and reflecting. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in counseling and whatever it takes to like, honestly be, um, to, to grow into that leadership, I, it's painful. Uh, I don't so it's, it's interesting because I, I almost assumed that you were able to to sidestep the emotions and the the worry and the fear and the insecurities. But then when you said it, it's taken a lot of reflection and writing and counseling and tears. Now I'm guessing that you you have gone through the pain of leadership and of growth and of worry and insecurity and all the shit that we carry as baggage. So can you give us some tips around that as to how we can, how do leaders, I'm thinking of a couple of people that are members of the CO Alliance and even myself at times where 
the baggage just feels so insurmountable. How are you able to, to deal with that? So one of the, there's a daily practice that I, that I do. Um, and that is, I have my five minute gratitude journal. Um, and every day I, I'm pretty good about doing that. Um, I also, um, when things are really tough, I will write down what can I influence and I will go through that and I will say, what, what do I not have control over? And I will write all of that out. And then I ask myself, why do I think I need control over that in order to do what I need to do? And that really helps me because a lot of times I find that what I have influence over, I have all the tools I need to get to the place I need to be at. And I actually don't need to be stressing about things I can't control or don't have influence over. Yeah. It sounds like you're also pretty good with understanding that good is good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yes. And, and that sounds like in maybe that's a 10 quick start, but it's also maybe it's because you have, have six kids. Like <laughs> just kind of go perfect gets tossed out the window at that point. It's like, let's raise really happy, healthy kids. But um, all right. I want one, one final question. If you were to look back at your 21 year old self starting out as a leadership and or in leadership, and you wanted to give yourself some advice that, you know, now you really know to be true, but you wish you'd known earlier, what would it be? I think the biggest thing is if you, want to again i think i heard this on your podcast but it would be if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far you know go together um i think i'd probably tell my 21 year old self you have no idea what's coming because i was 30 when i got cataplexy (laughs) (laughs) you have no idea what's coming and it's going to be so much better than you thought it was going to be it really is through all the garbage that that everything good has come i I believe that. And, and that principle has actually given me a little bit more courage moving forward when it's really bad. They always say, we say, um, you always break down before you break through. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and that's been true. Yeah, that's very true. This is great. Big insights. I really appreciate this. Jody Evans, the chief operations officer at community dental partners. Thanks very much for joining us on the second command podcast. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. That was great. Thank you. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.